All right, everyone, let's uh, prepare our hearts for our study of God's Word this morning. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. We thank you, Lord, even for uh, bringing so many folks back that have uh, been absent either intermittently or for a long time. Uh, we're, we're blessed to have them here. We pray that uh, you would now humble our hearts Make them teachable, make them responsive to what your word has to declare to them today, that it would bless us, but most of all, Lord, would bless you. Uh, turn our hearts back to you, Lord, and that we may be better worshipers of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. All right, guys, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. I promise next week we will return to 1 Peter. Just a few things have been on my mind and would like to enumerate those things to you before we continue on in our study of the book of 1 Peter. So thank you for your patience on that. So we will be in the book of Psalm chapter 103, Psalm 103. And while you're turning there, I'll give a brief introduction on this. Uh, Psalm 103 is often seen as the signature chapter on thankfulness. And this is a very helpful psalm in today's word, especially because we could acknowledge that we do live in a pretty thankless world. The church is a body that often struggles with thankfulness as well. We live in a particular time even now, and we would hope and pray that it's even a brief season where we have an innumerable number of things to complain about. Just sit and think a while, and you could, you could come up with something pretty easily to complain about, something that is wrong with the world, something that's wrong with yourself, maybe something that's wrong with your spouse. You're not telling them about it, but you just know something's wrong there. You know something's missing. Perhaps you've had it up to here with particular government restrictions. Some of you are just, man, you, you go to that dark place in life, and you're just constantly mired in dissatisfaction with all the corruption and all the unbelief that you see, especially types of corruption that have infiltrated the highest branches of government. You're not, you struggle with thankfulness because of the uncertainty of your freedoms, because communism has reared its ugly head once again in our society. It's not merely at our doorstep it's everywhere. It's in our culture. It's embraced. We're tired of, at least I am, tired of wearing masks. Some of you rebels out there don't wear them at all. You won't budge. Yeah, that's right. See, I hear an amen in the house of God. Yeah, don't wear them at all. We need, we need you guys. We need you. Um, <laughs> all of those things are simply the cherry on top. There's, there's many other ongoing things in life that we struggle with, but I would say this, our days can be full of occasions for rejoicing, we have that opportunity because we are in Christ. We're redeemed. We have many things to be thankful for. But the various setbacks that we experience and the disappointments of life can cause us to complain. That can be a, a dent easily made in our armor. We want joy. We want happiness. It's, it's the way we're made. People are made in the image of God to desire happiness, to desire contentment and satisfaction. And when we see those various letdowns in life, when things go the way we don't want them to do, we can often have a complaining spirit. And one of the things that often ends up happening is that we bring that complaining spirit even into the church, something that the church has to deal with. 
It's one of the hardest things to put aside, I would say, when joining an assembly. Many things we may struggle with, and we can leave them out there, but complaining is not one of them. Complaining is one of those things that is so hard to kill. We can put a mask on many things, but not complaining. You can't be thankless out there and expect it to remain out there. Complaining will always work its way in here. I think one of the things we need to do right away is repent from that complaining, realize what we have in Christ, and leave the complaining to the unbeliever. Let the unbeliever see that we are a content people satisfied in the riches that Christ gives us. This is what I want to say today from this text. I want to encourage you guys to be thankful. I'll say it again. Said it many times. I realize times are hard right now. I get that. Times are hard. Many things are uncertain. However, that is still not an excuse to complain. Remember, our side wins, has already won, because Christ is one. And that is the very bedrock of our joy and thankfulness and contentment. So I want this to be a year of being thankful, of constantly calling to mind what Christ has done for us, that God is for us and not against us, that we are in no different a condition than we were last year or any other year before, as long as we are in Christ, that we belong to him. And for that, we can always be thankful. I would even go so far to say is that is the underlying comfort in every affliction. Yes, we hurt. Yes, we go through hard times. Many of you are going through it right now, but let me encourage you. But that has not changed or altered your standing before God because God is faithful to you and he will bring that joy and comfort the challenge for us is to be thankful. It's interesting when you turn to Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist begins that psalm by asking this question. This question, why do the nations rage? Like, what's the problem with the world? Why, why the uproar? Why this disposition of being unsettled, lack of establishment, wishy-washy, going all over the place? but they're never firm. They are never calm. They are never at ease. Why do they rage? I say sometimes the church gets like that. But why do the nations rage in a chapter like that? Well, they rage because they reject God. All of that unrest is directed toward the Lord and his anointed king. They do not like the fact that Christ is king. They do not like the fact that the Lord's anointed reigns supreme. They are not satisfied with his rule. And once you're dissatisfied with God, you're going to find yourself dissatisfied with everything else. Once one gets into a habit of complaining, your complaints typically assault God first. They assault his character. They assault his plan. They assault his goodness and authority and his right to rule over everything. So the answer of the question, of course, is, well, how do we keep from complaining? The answer is not merely to stop complaining. I mean, we, we, can, we, we like to tell each other that, right? Why are you complaining? Stop complaining. It's more than that. The answer to stop complaining is to be thankful. This is a very simple message. The Bible has a lot to say about thankfulness. Here, I'll bring up something we complain about. I just wish I knew what God's will for my life was. I don't know where God is leading me. I don't know what he wants from me. Let me tell you, the Bible tells you this. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, 
pray without ceasing. Now listen to this. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for my life? It's to be thankful. It's to give thanks in all circumstances. It's a struggle, I know. It's a work of sanctification. It's definitely a labor of love. And yet we are called to be thankful and to grow in it. See, two things stand out in this passage of 1 Thessalonians, at least. One, we are to give thanks in all situations. Of course, that's, that's trained. Feast, famine, triumph, sorrow, fellowship, persecution, we give thanks. And of course, what we just said, secondly, this is one of the few passages in Scripture that explicitly says this is what God's will for your life is. So if you've entered 2021 and God's will is a complete mystery, mystery solved today, God's will for you. You're going to walk out of here today knowing what God's will is for your life, but you didn't expect that. You didn't expect to walk in here this morning. But yes, God's word tells you, be thankful in all things. Struggle is real, but it is clear. God wants us to be thankful. Now let's define our terms here because we're going to unpack this concept today. Thankfulness or thanksgiving is the expression of one's joy toward the grace of God. Let me read that again. Thankfulness or thanksgiving is the expression of one's joy toward the grace of God, whether that be in our singing, our speech, our thinking, just like any of those can be an avenue of complaining. A lot of music today, they're just screaming into the microphone, complaining about how purposeless life is. Our speech, our thinking, no, this is to be an avenue of rejoicing and of blessing the Lord. We want all of life to be an opportunity to be thankful to God. Scripture is also clear, but this is a problem that all of humanity has. In Romans 1.21, it says this, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Talk about a contradiction for the ages. If one truly knows God, his first response should be that of thanksgiving. Lord, you are holy, you are righteous, I am not. Thank you for being patient with me and giving me an opportunity to repent from my unbelief. That should be our first response. However, it says that man does not do this. He does not honor God as God or give thanks. He says, I want to be God. And then it says this, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Let me interpret that for you because this verse says a lot, but one thing this says very clearly is that if you are not thankful, that thanklessness makes you stupid. It darkens your heart. You become futile in your speculation. You don't know what to think or where to go if you are thankless. So here we come to Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. What's interesting about this Psalm is that it was thought to be written in David's later days. So here is a king who has obviously been through a lot. He's been through everything that a man can possibly go through from a human perspective. And in his later days, he sits down and he writes a hymn of thankfulness, reflecting upon a life in which he was the beneficiary of God's great love and faithfulness. This is one of those psalms where you actually see a progression. We're not gonna, I'm not going to exposit all of it today. We're just going to hit verses 1 through 5. But I want you to understand the larger picture going on here. This psalm begins with what you could call a one-man choir. Bless the Lord, O my soul, that singular possessive. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And then as you go through the psalm, you add another part 
of the congregation. The choir grows. It grows in number. It grows in volume. It grows in its beauty. But this is not merely the witness of one man in isolation. This is the witness of the people of God coming together and say, yes, we agree on this thing that we are to bless the Lord. We are to spend time recounting his goodness and his faithful love toward us. It builds. And even at the end of this Psalm, what does it say? It comes back to it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a beautiful Psalm. Begins with quietude of the soul and then builds up till it is obvious that it is the witness of the redeeming of the redeemed community. So let this be our testimony as we reflect on it. This is not just what I have to say. This is what we must have to say regarding the Lord and his goodness. So we'll kind of walk our way through this psalm and we'll, we'll really divide the points. Again, I don't have a fancy outline this morning. Some of you may not like that, but let's break it down by, based on what David says in, in terms of him blessing the Lord. So those are the, those are the three parts of this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. There's the first part, okay? Who are we blessing? Where is that blessing coming from? Bless his holy name, okay? There's the, again, the object of that blessing once again. We are blessing something that is particular about God as is revealed in his name. And then thirdly, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So that third blessing is related to recognizing all that God has done. That is his benefits shown toward us. So let's look at the first part of this. Where is this blessing coming from? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. So this is, again, a personal testimony. My soul is blessing the Lord. Now, if you really pay attention to any kind of conversation, many of us in here, we like to talk. We like to have people over. We like to converse about the issues of life. And if you really pay attention to the nature of conversation, you will find one thing pretty clear. And this goes for most of us. We love to talk about ourselves. In any conversations, there, there's a few exceptions, of course. Some of, some of you are very quiet. Some of you are very introspective. But the majority of us, we like talking about ourselves. An article a while back from Scientific American suggests that 60% of conversations are composed with individuals talking about themselves. If for no other reason than the fact that it feels good. <laughs> feels good to talk about ourselves. We can put ourselves in a positive light. We can make sure people aren't confusing us with that other guy of worse character over there, right? It's everyone's favorite topic. There is a one country singer, philosopher who once sang this. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually, but occasionally I want to talk about me, right? It's our favorite topic of conversation. I mean, we love being in the spotlight. We just do. Putting self on display. That's what the human race does best. It's putting ourselves on display in all of our untainted glory, right? And wisdom and profoundness. And yet Psalm 103 suggests a habit that is even more radical. Instead of talking about yourself, here's what I'm going to suggest to you today from God's word. Don't talk about yourself. Talk to yourself. Now, most of us would think that's not very healthy, Jonathan. Talking to myself, we usually criticize people for that. 
but talk to yourself. Here's the thing, as one pastor said, if you don't talk to yourself, guess what's going to happen? Yourself is going to start talking to you and put into your mind all these crazy ideas. Talk to yourself, not ranting and raving, not incomprehensible gibberish, but with real wisdom packed knowledge, truth from God's word. I would reckon that most of us spend a lot of time talking to ourselves. I mean, sometimes I'll be out in the yard, I'll be practicing a conversation, usually winning an argument with an invisible somebody, and my wife will catch me. Now, <laughs> she's usually really nice about it, but I open the door and she's like, so who are you talking to out there? Ah, uh, no one, just, you know. But I won, that's what matters, right? <laughs> but the point of mentioning this is that this is where Thanksgiving begins. Thanksgiving begins by talking to yourself, reasoning with yourself, convincing yourself that God is worthy to be blessed. And honestly, it shouldn't take that much convincing. The word of God should be sufficient to convince yourself that yes, I am to bless the Lord, not to curse my luck, not to question God's faithfulness or why nothing seems to work in life. Because we've all been there at some point. But what we are to do in talking to ourselves is to stir our own inner man to thankfulness. So as crazy as you look talking to yourself, at least be thankful. At least stir your inner man into blessing the Lord. And so David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is the very reason for which we are made alive in Christ, to bless the Lord. We're so used to his blessing, to him showing his good favor to us, but we bless the Lord. While the world questions, while the world curses, while the world casts blame, while the world remains in unbelief, we bless the Lord. According to uh, Hebrew professor William Barrick, he simply says this, bless means to acknowledge the Lord in his position of power with all the respect due to him. He is worthy of that. He is worthy of all those honors that are characteristic of his power and his position of sovereignty over our lives and the rest of creation. We are to bless the Lord, it says here, oh my soul, that is with our inner man. So this goes beyond the typical lip service that may be rendered in worship or various religious talk. This is a genuine kind of blessing and thankfulness that emerges from a soul that has been made right with God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And this is what we come to reckon of God, of what he is worthy when we are born again and seek to praise him. When, whenever we are, when we are confronted with the gospel and when that change takes place, we now bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Let's look at that. All that is within me. This makes it impossible to compartmentalize our, faithful, or our thankfulness. That means that we have no reservation when it comes to expressing our thankfulness toward God, that nothing is to be withheld from him. That with all of our might, with all of our strength, with the, with the totality of our inner being, we praise him. This, this has echoes of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, right? The Shema. Okay. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, with all your mind, okay? with all that you are. The point is, is that in loving the Lord, you hold nothing back okay? with all your strength, with all your muchness. That text literally says. John Stevenson gives an excellent breakdown of this concept. Listen to this. Let your conscience bless the Lord by unvarying fidelity. 
Let your imagination bless him by pure and holy musings. Let your affections praise him, my loving whatsoever he loves. Let your desires bless him by seeking only his glory. Now listen to this. This is great. Let your memory bless him by not forgetting any of his benefits. Let your thoughts bless him by meditating on his excellencies. Let your hope praise him by longing and looking for the glory that is to be revealed. Let your every sense bless him by its fealty, your every word by its truth, and your every act by its integrity. See, it sounds like a simple statement, but what, once you start breaking it down, this is a very complex action that's going on. I mean, we're made in the image of God, so there is a complexity to humanity, to the human makeup. We, we're more than the sum of our parts, but the fact is, is there are parts of us that we need to recognize that need to yield to God and bless his name. And you think about this small list here, there's probably way more if we sat and thought for a while, we could think of many parts of our lives, of our being, where we say, wow, is this, am I thanking God with this? Am I blessing him with this in my life? But this is pretty good coverage. In all that we are, heart, mind, soul, strength, we bless the Lord. We praise the Lord. And this is, this is to be part of our nature. It should be the nature of the man who is in Christ to bless the Lord, the nature of that new creation, that every nook and cranny of your being is to think of God as worthy to be blessed. And I think when we develop this, when, this, when we cultivate this and watch it grow, it prevents thankfulness from being an afterthought. I mean, the, the, the man who discipled me in college once told me, because I was really struggling with prayer, he says, hey, if you struggle with prayer, one thing to start thinking of is what ways to thank God. So I went home with that and I started thinking a bit like, wow, there are so many reasons to be thankful to God. And this was at a moment of great spiritual immaturity for me. And yet, even I was able to find reasons to bless the Lord, to be thankful. Thankfulness is a great catalyst for consistent prayer and service to the church. I think it's something that the Christian really needs to be on guard for, to escape that pitfall of thanklessness and complaining. I mean, you remember it was such a pitfall for the Israelites, right? Wandering through the desert, always complaining. The Bible describes it as murmuring. They were just chirping about how they wish they could go back to Egypt, how life in slavery was just so much better than life with the Lord. You realize that? Thanklessness leads to a type of lunacy that is beyond compare, that casts aspersions upon God's faithful character, that rejects his goodness and blessing. Far be it from us to be captive to this thanklessness. See, when we put away the old man, we put away a thankless heart. And in Christ, we are inclined to be thankful, inclined to think of him, inclined with all of our being to reject self-worship and to bless him. So hold nothing back. Do not be one who blesses the Lord in here with your lips, and yet you curse him in your heart. Bless him with all that you are. And it says this, Bless his holy name. This is the second part, right? We bless the Lord with our inner man, all that is within us, but then what else do we do? We bless his holy name. Now we've talked a lot about God's holiness. Talked about the fact that it means more than his uniqueness or otherness or the fact that he is set apart. It means more than just being spiritually mature or spiritually different. 
Remember, holiness speaks to the fact that God is devoted highly to his own glory, that he is devoted to his own people, and that he dwells with them. For God to be holy means that his presence is with us. Now listen to Isaiah 57, 15, because here is what we do when we bless his holy name. This is, this is what we're acknowledging, okay? Isaiah 57, 15, for this is what the high and exalted one who lives forever, that's God right there, whose name is holy, says, I dwell in a, whole, uh, a high and holy place. And note the conjunction here. So we have the high and holy place, right? We think of lofty heavenly things. We think of angelic majesties. We think of the very presence of God. But listen to this. And also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So though he lives in a heavenly high lofty place, where does he also dwell? with those who are humble. That is, he dwells with anyone who believes in him. He dwells with anyone who is saved by grace through faith, through Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant reality. That God, when we, when we bless his holy name, we are saying more than the fact that God's name is other or different. We are, we are blessing him for his dwelling presence with his people and his abiding faithfulness. <clears throat> we are acknowledging that he is devoted to us and will never leave us or, or forsake us. Now going to a passage that is familiar to most of us because we covered it earlier, is this is the very reason that Moses was not allowed into the promised land. He failed to bless God's holy name. Remember, he, he, is, he is commanded to speak to the rock but he is so exasperated by the unbelief of the Israelites that he's leading through the wilderness. Instead of speaking to it, he strikes the rock with his staff. And the Lord says to him, and water incidentally pours out. What does that mean? God's with his people. I'm providing drink for them. I'm refreshing them in the wilderness. But he says this to Moses and to Aaron, since you did not trust in me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. What was Moses doing? His lack of, what was his lack of faith? What characterized it is that he denied that God was present and devoted to his people by that action. He let his frustration get the best of him. And that is in effect what he was saying. So let's read this text on. To treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. For that reason, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were called the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel argued with the Lord. And listen to this, he proved himself holy among them. So in spite of their unbelief, he still defended his own name and proved himself to be holy. So regardless of Moses's extreme lapse of judgment here, the Lord still proved himself among his people to say, I dwell with you, I will preserve you, and I will take you through the wilderness. So when we bless him, we are acknowledging his presence in our lives. We are acknowledging that God is holy and that he is faithful to us. So that's a quick part two. Let's look at part three, which goes to the end of our passage this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. 
So this third section is, is actually underscoring all of these benefits. So when you say forget none of his benefits, they're not hanging up there in space with us wondering what they are. Then he proceeds in verses three through five to describe what some of those benefits are. And even though it's not an exhaustive list, it really, it really covers all of what man needs. So listen to this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Now notice this. This is the third time he has said, told his soul. He's still talking to himself, right? Forget none of his benefits, O soul. Come on. It's like he's kicking himself awake, right? So in terms of worship, it's like he is, it's like the tuning of an instrument. He's tuning his heart and mind to bless the Lord so that he is thankful, Sometimes we treat blessing the Lord like this. It takes a few times. Some of you work early. Some of you not so early. And you're ambitious, right? You set that alarm clock or your iPhone or whatever. And there's this time you're like, I'm going to wake up here. And then the alarm goes off. And what do you do? You hit the snooze button. A few minutes go by. The alarm goes off. Awake, soul. That's what it's telling you. Get up. Rise and grind and go to work. Get it done. Right? No, snooze. I just want to sleep, man. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. I'm not ready to get up. I don't want to get up. This is kind of what's going on in the inner man when it pertains to Thanksgiving, right? I'm going to say it a third time. You hit the snooze a couple times. I'm saying it again. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. This is the urgency of blessing God. We are not to snooze when it comes to Thanksgiving. We call our inner man to worship him, to be on guard against spiritual laziness when it comes to thanksgiving, to constantly draw our attention to the need to rise with a thankful heart, as much of a struggle as it can be. I mean, rarely, you know, rarely do we think of that, just rise and be thankful. No, I, I want to go to bed. Who woke me up, right? It's our thought. It's time to transform that into rising with thanksgiving. Listen to what Spurgeon says. And thus he shows us that we have a need regarding this verse. Again and again to bestir ourselves when we are about to worship God, for it would be shameful to offer him anything less than the utmost our souls can render. What lends itself to that? Forget none of his benefits. And forgetting these benefits, friends, should be an immensely hard task because they are so great and they are so numerous. His benefits are great. And yet the memory of man, incidentally, the memory of man is meant to bless God, but the memory of man can so easily spoil our attitude, spoil our disposition. It can cause us to unfortunately think upon times where when God was actually faithful to preserve us and to be sufficient for us, we end up basically spoiling that memory and saying, well, maybe God really wasn't faithful. We end up exaggerating or embellishing the reality of what actually happened, painting it in a worse light than it actually was. Because look, you're still alive. You're still alive and God is still blessing you. God is still using you as an instrument to his glory to advance his kingdom and proclaim his name among the nations. What a privilege. I mean, if, if you're not going to rise for that, then just stay in bed. Well, don't really stay in bed. Get up. All right. Get up. 
Forget none of his benefits. Remember his grace. Remember his blessing. Do not come to the mistaken conclusion that the afflictions that you endure are so bad that they go beyond the reach of God's sovereign outworking of grace and mercy. See, when we remember the benefits of the Lord, we remember not only the Lord himself, but we remember his character that is constantly faithful, never changing. We also remember that he gives them for our good. He doesn't withhold those good things from us. We are to bless his name, forget none of his benefits, all these benefits that are good things according to him, according to his standards. But we do forget and this is, where the, this is where I want to warn you. There are dangers of forgetting. Here are a few. I want you to keep these in mind. Dangers of forgetting. They're very simple. The first one I think is the most obvious. It's pride. The dangers of forgetting God's benefits to us. First one is pride. What that means is that you start thinking suddenly, but this all depends upon you. That every good thing that you experience in life was a result of your effort, a result of your hard work and discipline and your quick wit and sharp mind. That it's because you put the hand of the plow, but all these good things came about. Paul actually rebukes the Corinthians for this. He says, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? So when you are tempted to be thankless, when you're struggling with blessing the Lord, think of this. What do I have that I have not received? It's all a gift. I didn't merit any of it. I, didn't, I certainly didn't deserve any of it. And Paul also adds this. And if you did receive it, and you did, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why are you denying God his worthiness of being blessed? See, that's pride. That's a pretty awful one. And that's just one. Say the worst is the second one is apostasy. When we forget God, we leave the faith and reveal the fact that we never were regenerated in the first place. That's a real danger. Those, those warnings are in Scripture because apostasy happens. But, it, but apostasy, departing from the faith, never happens a, apart from withholding blessing from the Lord. It never happens apart from a thankless heart. So we have to warn ourselves against that. And with that, always be reproving one another to be thankful because thankfulness kills thanklessness. Here's another one, a loss of witness. In Revelation 2, we read about the first of those churches that Christ addresses. It's church to Ephesus, right? The Ephesian church. And the thing that Christ reproves them for, and this is in the context of, in the setting where this church is doing many good things, doing a lot of things right, but their, big, their problem was a big one. You have forgotten your first love or the love you had at first. They're, the primary priority of the church is to love, to love God, to love neighbor, and to love the lost in the sense of proclaiming the gospel to them, to being that arm of mercy. But they risked a loss of witness if they didn't return to their first love. So the church struggles with this today in the terms of thanksgiving. If we are a thankless people, if people look upon us and say, what's wrong with them? What's so different from them? They complain more than I do. Okay? Why should I want to be a part of that community? All they do is grumble. All they do is gossip. All they do is complain, complain, complain about everything. We don't want to be like that. We want to be a, a body of joy that is, whose habit is giving thanks even in affliction. And trust me, affliction is coming. Affliction is coming. And that is why 
we are to train ourselves early to a habit of thankfulness, realizing what God has given us in Christ, realizing that the man who has Jesus only is as rich as the man who has Jesus and everything else. We don't want a loss of witness. A great witness to the community is simply a show of joy, a consistent expression of where our deepest contentment lies, and that is in the person and work of Christ. That is what is going to bring us joy. That is what is going to bring satisfaction. So remember that and be thankful. Here's another one, other than pride, apostasy, and loss of witness, is lapse of spiritual growth. We've talked about this passage on numerous occasions in 2 Peter 2, 5 through 11, where he's exhorting these, these recipients to constantly be growing. He says, For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. Spiritual growth, good picture of it. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, let me tell you, this is a great roadmap for spiritual growth. These are things that we want to pursue together as a church. Okay? This is where discipleship and accountability come in. However, these, you're, you're never going to grow if you're not thankful. Okay? Thankfulness is like the miracle grow in the garden of spiritual fruit. You add thankfulness, you will find that you will grow a lot faster. If you're thankless, you will experience a lapse of spiritual growth. If only for the reason to say that when we think of thankfulness, who should our mind go to? Who is the greatest example of thankfulness? Is Jesus Christ. I mean, where do you see Jesus complaining. You see him mourning, yes. You see him rebuking, but to just complain for the sake of complaining? No way. So a church that gives thanks is a church that resembles its Lord. A church that is thankless, a church that will not bless the Lord for all of his goodness and faithfulness and giving, is a church that does not resemble Christ. Because when we think of Christ, the last thing that should enter our minds is a thankless heart is a thankless person. I mean, I don't think any of us, when we call to mind the Lord Jesus, we think, man, what a curmudgeon. What a, what a gr-. No, not at all. The most thankful, joyful person who ever walked the earth. We want to be like him, right? We want to be like Christ and to be blessing the Lord and to call others to bless him too. And in that regard, spiritual growth will be noticeable and profound. We call them to mind so that we do not forget them. Listen to Psalm 139, 7 through 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How precious are your thoughts, Lord. When we think God's thoughts after them, we realize how great they are, and we continually call them to mind. And we re- or when, when we reorient our mind toward the truth of God's goodness, it is nearly impossible to be thankless. The battle will always be there, sure, but grateful hearts will prevail. 
So these benefits that we are not to forget, look at this first one, who pardons all your iniquities. I mean, you want a 101 example of what it is to be a beneficiary of God's grace. It's right here. Who forgives sins. You don't hold my sin against me. You forgive me. First and greatest of benefits, perhaps. That the main reason that we are to bless God. I mean, it's all over the Psalms. Chapter 25, 32, 51, 85, 86, etc. It goes on. This theme of worship based around God's forgiveness and his merciful treatment towards sinners. In the Old Testament, this word forgive points us to the, the picture of a heavy weight being lifted. And indeed, our sins were ours to bear apart from Christ. And in spiritual death and unbelief, that is our burden. And so Christ comes along and in his grace removes that burden from us, dies in our place, and gives us eternal life and commands that are not burdensome. But this forgiveness is a great benefit that we forget at our peril. In the New Testament, forgive points to this, this very thing, to wipe, to wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt. Again, not merely that God is letting us off the hook, but the fact that all that our sin demanded was paid in full by Christ. And that is why he can pardon us, because the penalty, the demand for justice has already been satisfied. So forgiveness in this vein is a great act of love, mercy, and grace. It's a decision by God to not hold our sin against us despite what we have done to him. And let me tell you, when we, when we think upon this, when we think upon God's benefit to wherein he pardons all of our iniquities, guess what? The more likely we are to forgive one another. We are to forgive one another in light of the reality of God's forgiveness toward us. He forgives our iniquities. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, so he's getting specific here, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So when we proclaim the gospel, we are saying in effect that. To all who believe in him, to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, he will not count your sins against you. And he has every right to, and he's going to if you remain in unbelief. But to them who believe, that is, that is this word of reconciliation that we have and treasure that he has committed to us, that God is not counting our wrongdoings against us because Christ has already suffered the penalty for those wrongdoings. That is forgiveness. Well, let's move on here. So we all need forgiveness. We all need pardon from sin. We recognize it is God that we have ultimately sinned against. David acknowledged it in Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Okay. We need forgiveness from God. We need reconciliation with God. Listen to what Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I mean, what an exchange. Instead of a decree, a righteous decree 
on that account made against us. That has been taken out of the way. It is no longer decreed against us because Christ has suffered for it. We are forgiven. This reality is amazing that God is not holding our sins against us. Think of that benefit. You know, think of when you sign up for a new job and you look at your benefits package, right? All these benefits, but guess what? It's going to cost you. It's going to take a little bit out of your paycheck. Oh, you want, your t- you want retirement? I'm going to dock you for that. You want health insurance? You want the silver plan? going to dock you for that. You want the gold plan? going to dock you more. You want the platinum plan? It's going to cost you. If you want the diamond plan, you're not even going to have a paycheck after we're done with it. See? <laughs> benefits cost money. They're not even really benefits because benefits, theologically speaking, are free. Oh, but in this world, they cost you immensely. Pretty soon, you got nothing left. Have no more, more money to have fun with, right? But when it comes to God's benefits, they multiply. It is grace upon grace, and it is free. It is a free gift of God's grace to you in Christ. Forget especially not the benefit of forgiveness, because with, along with forgiveness comes every other grace imaginable to you. So he pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. Now, these diseases are frequently mentioned in the Old Testament. There were physical ailments, spiritual ailments. Um, We recognize today that, yes, it's not always God's will to heal. Sometimes it is. But we have to look at this text as pointing to a greater reality. I don't want to over-spiritualize it. but But the fact is, is that God's redemption toward us does bring comprehensive healing. How do we know that? We know that based on the doctrine of glorification. Yes, he heals not only the inner man, he heals the body as well. While we go through certain physical ailments and afflictions in this life, we can look to the promises of the next life, knowing that as Christ's redemption is consummated, we are really completely healed from all diseases, whether spiritual or physical. So right now, currently, we experience deliverance from spiritual sickness. We are resurrected. We are brought to life in Christ. But that resurrection life is so profound and so comprehensive, so all-encompassing, we actually experience it bodily as well. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about when it says this, this corruptible body, this corruption must also put on incorruption to where we are no longer subject to death, whether spiritually or physically. Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection delivered us completely from death in all of its forms. Yet another benefit that we cannot forget, that his grace is sufficient for all the afflictions of life, all of the afflictions that came out of the curse of the fall. And yet, if we are in Christ and no longer in Adam, we also experience healing from all of those afflictions. Now let's go to the next one who redeems your life from the pit. Now that's, that's pretty expressive, right? We knew where we once were apart from Christ. We could reckon our, our lifeless condition as being in a pit, being in some dark hole somewhere, forgotten and left to, left to suffer, left to be in misery. The better word here for pit is pretty much understood as the word destruction, that we are brought back from spiritual death. And this asks a good question. What good, what use is, these all work together, what use is forgiveness of sins? 
What use is being healed from all of our diseases if the power of sin and death over me is not broken? And yet it is. These are, these are the benefits in Christ. These are the graces we have in Christ. And this grace is eternal life, that He redeems our life from the pit. This word redeem, as, as we understand it each time we go through it, it means to be purchased. It means to be bought back. In its fullness, it means to be bought back from the penalty of sin because of the exchange of one life for another. That it was expensive to redeem us, and yet Christ put that duty upon himself. As first Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin might live to righteousness for by his stripes, we are healed. The reason that we can get out of the pit of destruction is because Jesus jumped in there with me and pulled me out of it. But he did so by laying his life down. Jesus died in that pit. So I didn't have to. And yet he, I should say, I want to be theologically correct here. In Christ, I died with him in that pit. And yet, because of his resurrection life, I also was raised with him and now am seated with him. That's our benefits. We are healed. We are redeemed from the pit of destruction. It's amazing these honors he, he gives us. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. See, he delivers us from all of this. And then look what he, it's like the Lord is not content to simply leave us in that state, but he gives us even more benefits. He honors us, right? He does more than just take us out of the pit. By all appearances, it looks as if we were never in that pit to begin with. It's It's like the prodigal son. We know what the prodigal son did, right? He said, he went to his father and said, hey, I want all my inheritance now so I can go waste it on Wine and women, which is an insult to the father. Spends all his money. Then he ends up working on a pig farm, right? He's eating the pig slop right next to the pigs. When he returned to his father, what does his father do? He takes him out of his rags. Gives the, says, bring the finest robe. Put it on my son. Ring for his finger. Slay the fattened calf. My son's back. We're gonna, it's steak night. It is. It's time to party. But here's the point. By the time the father was done with the son, you never knew the son was eating pig slop. Such was the transformation. And see, so when when God crowns us with loving kindness and compassion, he doesn't give us, notice, he doesn't give us a bracelet or a necklace or or a toe ring, something that is inconspicuous and, and unnoticeable. There's one thing you can't hide, friends, and that's a crown. It's on your head for everyone to see. He adorns us with that so we can point the world to his achievement, to his workmanship, to his glorious working of salvation to undeserving sinners. And yet that salvation, that benefit we reap from Christ's death and resurrection is so profound, you never even knew you were dead. That's how powerful the gospel is. That's how great the benefit is. And as, as the writer says here, don't you forget it. Don't forget that. Remember it. Call it to mind constantly. He crowns us with two things that are so precious in our minds to the character of God. Loving kindness and compassion. 
Loving kindness is one of the, the words that is used mostly in the Old Testament to describe the Lord's character. So is compassion. Loving kindness and compassion. So this word loving kindness, Hebrew has said, it kind of deals with several different ideas. It's God's love. It's his mercy. It's his grace, his kindness, his, his faithfulness. Think of it as like a, a cluster of fruit. And all of God's divine graces are wrapped up in that cluster of fruit. We could translate this as loyal love. That not only is God crowning us with loving kindness and, and compassion, but he is crowning us in such a way that that crown will, never, will only be removed when we cast it before his feet in the kingdom, right? When it's fully brought to bear, it's amazing. That love he gives us is loyal. It endures. He gives us compassion as well. Again, rather than wealth or power, or earthly honors, loving kindness and compassion express to the world of God's ownership of us, that his grace rests upon us. Hence the crown, that his loyal love is on us and that he has reached out in compassion and mercy to us and has met every need that we could have. He crowns us with it for all to see. Here's the next one says this, who satisfies your years with good things. He satisfies us. He gives us every good thing, not just, not just ambiguous things. We can look to these things that he gives us and say, yeah, these good gifts are characteristic of God. They come from him. We know the source. We don't need to question their goodness or usefulness. They come from God, and so we honor him for it. This word, satisfies your years. This literally is translated your ornament, which often points to the, the being of the person. You translated your, your body. And yet it's translated here, your years, your years with good things. The human experience, everything that is wrapped up into that demonstrates God's glory resting upon it. He gives us good things as opposed to useless things. And he satisfies us with it. Note this word satisfaction as opposed to tranquilizing or keeping us quiet. So many things that the world pursues, they satisfy us for a little bit. Actually, Spurgeon uses the word satiate. It's like a temporary satisfaction that's with us for a time and then it goes away. It's fleeting. And then we look for the very next fleeting pleasure of life. But this points us to the fact that only God can satisfy, and he satisfies us with things that are good, things that are consistent only with his character. Here's how James 1.17 spells it out. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So James 1.17 is telling us regarding these good things is that they are all rooted in God's character, a character that is firm and fixed. These are things that point us to him as the source of all good things, that we are to look nowhere else for these good things. And the fact that he is father of lights, we know that these good things that he give us, gives us will not fail us. They, will, they are not liable to lead us into darkness. And the only time that could ever happen is if we, if we idolize the good things instead of worshiping the one who gives us those good things. Listen to the psalmist, chapter 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your graciousness that we may sing for joy and rejoice 
all our days. Begin your day with being satisfied in God. Begin your day with asking God to fill up your inner man so that it's all eyes on him, recognizing that every good thing comes from him. Trust me, God knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for you. Sometimes in the flesh, we question whether or not these things are good. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11. So if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I mean, none of us is going to hopefully give our child something that is going to lead them to destruction or some kind of harm, whether physically or spiritually. No, we want to give them things that will, yes, bring them joy, but also help them look to God as the one who gives all things. It's the source of every good thing. And if we, in, sp- in spite of all the challenges of the flesh, know how to give good things to our kids, how much more? Does God know what he is doing in giving his good gifts? And we may think, right? Lord, I need this good thing. Why are you withholding it from me? If God withholds it from you for a time, his reasons are good. We may not even know the reasons, but what we can rely on is the fact that God is good, okay? And if God is good, his reasons will be good. He may never tell you those reasons, but we can rest in the fact that he is good and that's never going to change and that everything he gives us is going to be a good thing and in good timing for a good reason and for an ultimately good purpose. We have to ask ourselves, do we really believe that in the midst of all this complaining and thanklessness? Do we really believe that? I hope we do. So here's the end purpose statement. Who satisfies your years with good things. So all of life we can look upon as being blessed by God, that we are satisfied in him only, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And I was thinking like, man, how do you, how do you exposit this eagle thing without getting all cheesy? <laughs> but, or, but here you go. Your youth is renewed as the eagle. That's what God's satisfaction leads to. Your youth being renewed as the eagle. And this is very important because often we can describe the church as either a bunch of turkeys or a bunch of chickens, you know, wandering around, not really knowing, clucking away. You know, I have to watch the road where I live because turkeys are constantly walking across it. They're not going to move. It, they're not going to move. Turkeys are one of the stupidest, stupidest animals. Chickens, well, we, what we call, when, we, when we call a person chicken, what we call, we're saying we're scared. You're scared. You're afraid. Don't be like the turkey. Don't be like the chicken. Be like the eagle. Majestic, strong, soaring. See, never, no one ever criticizes an eagle, right? Eagles are awesome. Let me tell you something about the eagle. Eagles can stare at the sun. Did you know that? They can stare at the sun. That's awesome. I'd love to be able to stare at the sun. It's a beautiful star. They can stare at the sun. Eagles can balance their feathers to make flying more efficient and graceful. Eagles can see five times better than humans. There's a great illustration of our life in Christ. We can see better. We not only have the eyes, the mind of Christ, we have the eyes of Christ. We can see life through his lens. We can see life the way God sees life. We have a a spiritually discerning perception because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Eagles can fly at 15,000 feet, which means they can fly above the storm rather than be wrapped up in it, right? To be taken out by it. Eagles, this is a great one. Eagles are at the top of the food chain. They have no natural predators. Eagles are at the top of the food chain. 
And flying at that height, they can see, they have a grand perspective that other birds don't, right? Suffice it to say, it's good to be an eagle. Good to be an eagle, not a turkey. Turkeys are ugly and stupid and delicious. Chickens, well, chickens are chickens. The longest recorded flight of a chicken is nine seconds. Don't be like the chicken, right? Be like the eagle. But listen, this is very, <laughs> this is very important. From Psalm 102, this is where the eagle comes in. Psalm 102, the psalm before this, says this, I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. See, so when he gets to Psalm 103, see, you're no longer as you are, as your soul is satisfied with good things by the living God because of his grace and you're thinking upon those things. You no longer are to resemble a pelican in the wilderness, mopey, right? In a wasteland, wondering what's going on. Don't be like the pelican. I have become an owl of the waste places. Remember being, you know, shooting out in, the, in an undisclosed place in the desert one day, and I was going down a mine shaft, and about 100 feet down, I saw this movement, and there was an owl down there think, what is an owl doing there? But apparently owls dwell in waste places like old mine shafts. Don't be like the owl. I lie awake. I've become like a lonely bird on a housetop. You see, none of these things are characteristic of the eagle. So don't try to be like a bird with, with, with one set of talons in one world and one set of talons in the other. This is a simple call, Christian, to be what you are in Christ. You are not a pelican, you are not an owl, you are not a lonely bird. You are part of the body of Christ and therefore you are like an eagle. So be like the eagle and be satisfied in the God who saves you and in the God who gives you benefit upon benefit and grace upon grace. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Man, you may be in here, you may feel like an old man, you may feel old and busted and rickety, and yet here is a picture of the inner man. No, the, the, the scripture is calling you to be youthful. Let your inner man rise and be youthful. Okay. Know that the Spirit of God will empower you to be satisfied in Him and to point others to be satisfied in Him. You may be old on the outside, do not be old on the inside. I don't know how many times I got to tell you, be like the eagle, but I think you've got the point. What does Isaiah say? Those who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. Same picture here. They shall mount up with wings as pelicans, as owls, as turkeys or chickens. No, as eagles, as eagles, strong, majestic, powerful, seeing what only an eagle can see, having a God's eye view of his mighty redemptive work. So if you are like that pelican, if you are like that owl, if you are like that lonely bird, think upon the goodness of God. Bless the Lord with all your soul, with all that you are, so that your youth will be renewed like the eagle. So this is the question today. Three questions based on this text. Are you blessing the Lord with all that you are? That's the first thing. Or are you compartmentalizing? Are you cursing him in your spirit while blessing him with your lips? Here's the next question. When you think of the name of God, are you able to acknowledge with all conviction, yes, though the world may afflict me, God dwells with me. He is my shield. He is my redeemer. He is my comfort and my portion forever. He is with me. Thirdly, do I spend time each day 
calling to mind, not merely not forgetting, but deliberately calling to mind these benefits, these saving redemptive benefits that God sets upon me with all grace and with all power so that I feel renewed, so that I feel so I feel energetic, so that I am ready to go into battle proclaiming the gospel faithfully to call others to delight in God. So those are the three questions. I know the last third question was broken up into several other questions, but you get the point. Soul, souls, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for Psalm 103 verses one through five. Help us to call to mind all of your benefits. They're undeserved, and yet they are plenty. They are numerous. They are beyond count. And I pray, Father, that you would draw our minds to those those benefits. How easily we forget. How easily we stall. How easily we are like, like the pelican, the pelican in the wasteland, struggling to see your blessings. And yet, having been renewed like the eagle, we are able to fly above the fray and to see your handiwork, to see your work of redemption, to see that affliction has a purpose, to draw us to you, to remember your goodness to us, to remember that your purposes will be accomplished, that your name will be treated as holy. Help us to do that. Help us to bless your holy name. We're so concerned with blessing ourselves. We're so concerned with God bless America, we forgot to bless you. So along those lines, Lord, may we be faithful. May we be faithful even in our own nation, in our own state, in our own county and city to call others to bless you. Lord, help us to repent from that demand that you bless us. If we have forsaken you, if we have forgotten you, if we have treated it like a dusty object on a shelf, forgotten and perhaps only looked at for a time, Lord, renew our minds and help us to to bless you, to worship you, and to uh, express without hypocrisy all the honors that are due your name. We recognize we all struggle with this, but Lord, we, we ask for you to bless us in that way so that we would worship consistently in spirit and in truth, that we can be a local body of believers that are satisfied in all that you are doing in our midst, that we can call those who do not know you to know the true and living God, that they would also bless your name. We can't do it without you, Father, so we ask for your help. For Christ's glory, in Jesus' name, amen.